Amen. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and get your Bibles. I pray that you have those with you this morning and begin opening them to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you remember, last week we started a brand new sermon series uh, called Reclaiming the Mission. We're going to take a couple weeks pause from our Revelation series and we're going to take a, a deeper look into what it means to be Great Commission disciple makers. And if you remember last week, we talked some uh, about the mandate and also talked a little bit about the driving force uh, behind uh, this sermon series. And really, I just feel like God has uh, impressed this sermon series upon my heart for three primary reasons. The first one that we talked about last week is just the need that we see all around us. Like we said, the last 18 months or so, uh, we have been confronted with the reality of sin and darkness in our world in, in ways that, that we've never in, in my entire lifetime. And I believe that God is using it to, to bring us to the understanding of the true reality around us, that things aren't always as they seem. You know, here in the United States, uh, we uh, have the opportunity to hide a lot of brokenness uh, with means and things like that. And I think God has used this as an opportunity to kind of pull back the curtain and remind everybody, those who know Christ and those who don't, uh, that, that you are not in full control of everything. And there are a lot of things going on all around us. The second driving force is that regardless of what changes around us, God's plan has hasn't, right? God's plan to make disciples and to take the good news of the gospel to people is just effective today in 2021 as it was when he gave the great commission to the 11 disciples on that mountainside. And so God's plan hasn't changed. So we're called to still do the same thing and we're all called to participate in it. And in the final thing, the real, uh, the third thing for, for this study is, is because God is using it to move um, in incredible ways. I think we are seeing an unbelievable move of God across the United States right now uh, and across the, the whole world. In fact, I was uh, just talking last night with a friend who was at a conference this past week and had a conversation uh, with another friend of his from a church in Arkansas. And he told them that since last May, their church has seen 600 baptisms since last May in one year's time. And so uh, there's another church here in the U.S., Long Hollow Baptist. Robbie Galley is a pastor there. Uh, they have experienced, from what I'm reading, a thousand baptisms. And so all of that coupled together is just a powerful reminder to us that there are those in our world that are lost and dying and desperately need the good news of the gospel. God's plan hasn't changed, and he's using it to continue to transform lives in a powerful way. And so that's the whole heartbeat behind that message. We talked about the mandate last week. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about missional living. If we understand the mandate and we understand that we've all been called to participate in this, then we must also come to terms with the fact that part of making disciples is sharing our faith, right? And because we're all called to do it, in a sense, we're all called to be missionaries. So not necessarily missionaries that uh, would raise the hand to go to a foreign country and spend years there, but we are all what I would like to call everyday missionaries, right? That we're missionaries right in the environments that God has placed us. So regardless of what you do for a living or regardless of where you live, God has placed you uniquely and specifically in that context for you to be able to take the good news to those that he has put around you and those that he's put in your past. See, yours is going to be different than mine. You live on a different street than I live on. You work at a different place than I work. Uh, in fact, there's not a lot of lost people where I, that I work with on, on, a, on a weekly basis, nor Pastor Travis. And so uh, we're, we're going to rely heavily upon you, but God has uniquely and specifically placed you in some environments so that you can have gospel 
impact. So the idea is that as a participant in the Great Commission, that you find yourself as a missionary on a daily basis, that you are, in fact, an everyday missionary. And so part of that is sharing your faith, being willing to evangelize, being willing to share the good news of the gospel with people. And the reason why this is so important for us is this is the marker of spiritual maturity, right? The mark of spiritual maturity is not knowing more things, but it's putting what we already know into action. Think about this with your own kids, right? It doesn't matter if my kids know the expectations of the things around my house if they don't do them. The mark of maturity on their life is that they begin to do those things, and really the mark of maturity is when they begin to do those things on their own, right? So my son knows every single week, at some point, that mower needs to be fired up, filled with gas, and somebody needs to mow that yard, right? So he knows the expectation. The mark of maturity is when I pull into the driveway, and that thing is already mowed, right? You understand what I'm saying? So the mark of maturity is actually putting these things into action, and that's why this is so critically important for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. We can sit in Bible study after Bible study and accumulate all the knowledge that we can possibly accumulate, but if we never are willing to open our mouths and share the good news of the gospel with at least one person, then what does it matter? And we just have a bunch of information that really doesn't uh, amount to much. And so that's why this series is so important. So we're going to talk about this this morning. What does it mean to be an everyday missionary? What does missional living look like? So read with me, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read together verses 19 through 23, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning together unpacking these verses and explaining a little bit about what they mean. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. This is Paul writing. He says, for though I am free from all I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do all of it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we open your word, as we, as we explore this text. God, I pray that you'd use it to challenge us. And God, more than anything this morning, I pray that you would help to motivate us to action. As we've already discussed, God, this isn't just about learning more stuff this morning, but this is about a challenge to get busy doing the things that you've already called us to do. And so, God, I pray that that would be our response. God, I pray that this wouldn't even be something that we'd have to consider or pray about, but, God, that we'd be immediately evaluating our lives and considering how we might better participate in the mission that you've called us to. And, God, we trust you with the results of that. And so, God, I pray that you'd move and that you'd speak this morning. I pray that where, wherever I've been vague, God, that you'd be very specific in the hearts and minds of the people here. And, God, I pray that you would challenge everyone in the room like you've challenged me this week. God, I pray that this would be a part of my life, that this would describe who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as I said this morning to start out, this is, uh, this is about missional living. What does it mean to be an everyday missionary? And so we're going to dissect this passage a little bit. We're going to take a deeper dive and deeper look at what Paul is describing here. And in Paul's description here, uh, I believe we see at least three requirements uh, for all of us if we're going to be an everyday missionary. There's three requirements to this missional living that Paul describes. And so that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time in this morning. So if you are a note taker, go ahead and write down the first thing that we see in the text. Number one, missional living requires self-sacrifice. Missional living will require self-sacrifice. Now, if you just look back to verse 19 with me, you see where Paul's coming from. Verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul is describing here for us a, a, a lifestyle in which he is constantly dying to self. He's saying, listen, I've never been more free in my entire life, but in my freedom, I'm choosing to willfully make my, myself a servant to everyone around me. Why? For the sake of the gospel. He's saying it's that important, and it starts with that notion of being willing to die to self. Remember, Paul is the same person who not only writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but he also writes Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've shared it with you guys repeatedly, my life verse, where he pins that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of Man who, gave himself, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's where Paul's life begins. He understands that missional living in every context is going to require self-sacrifice and it begins with an understanding that we are all called to die to self. It's the idea of living for everyone else before ourselves. If you guys are familiar with uh, the movement I Am Second, some of you, uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard of I Am Second. Anybody here? Okay, so I Am Second, the whole notion of I Am Second is that God is first and that we're to be second, right? And something that we used to always challenge students with is that's actually kind of wrong thinking from the Bible. Really, we should understand it better as I Am Third, right? Like, that's what Paul lives out his life. He's saying, listen, of course God is first, but I don't come second. I come third. It goes God, then everyone else, and then myself. And so that is the way that he lives his life, and that's what he's describing here in this passage. He says, listen, when I come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, I became more free than I've ever been in my entire life. But what am I going to use that freedom for? I'm not going to use it for myself. I'm going to use it so that more people might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. What a powerful challenge to every single one of us. And it's a reminder to us that missional living requires self-sacrifice. But he doesn't just stop there. He continues. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. He says, so to the Jew I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, I might win those under the law. And then verse 21, he continues, to those outside the law I became as one of outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So he says this all starts with an understanding that I have died to self and now I live for all of those around us. But he continues by explaining that it also requires of us voluntary restraint. You see, what Paul's describing here is the idea that he is willing to lay aside anything and everything that would cost him the opportunity to share Christ with someone. So he gives us a description. He says, listen, when I hang out with my Jewish friends, which was his custom, by the way. We find that in Acts chapter 17. 
Verse 2, Paul says that his custom was when he entered into any town, he would seek out the synagogue. And for three Sabbath days, he would reason with the Jews, trying to explain to them that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, that he died and that he raised back to life and they could have eternal life in him. He was trying to convince them that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And so he would do this. But when he would hang out with them, what he's saying is, I am free from that old law, but when I hang around those people in order to earn credibility and confidence with them in the gospel, I'm willing to lay aside some of the freedoms that I have, not for my sake, but for their sake. So he's saying, listen, under the law, I'm no longer bound by that old Mosaic covenant. I, I, I no longer have to uh, identify with, with these food laws and all these things. Like Paul's saying, I'm, I'm more free than I've ever been. But I exercise voluntary restraint, again, not for myself, but for them. Why? So that I might have the opportunity to share Christ with them. He's saying, listen, I'm okay with offending people if the offense comes from the gospel. But I'm not okay with offending anybody if the offense is something other than the gospel. I'm willing to lay those things aside so that when they put out in front of me the dinner plate, I'm able to observe some of their customs and their policies and their rules and their laws for their sake. But he says, but when I'm not around the Jewish people, when I go to my Gentile friends, when I, when I sit down to eat a meal with them and to share the gospel in their home, if they were to put before me meat that was sacrificed to idols, what am I to do? Well, I'm to partake in it. I'm to eat because I'm, again, free. So he, again, he's saying this whole idea is built around the notion that I'm unwilling to do anything that would cost me the opportunity to share the, the gospel. The, the opposite is also true. I am willing to do just about anything to earn the opportunity to share Christ. But again, he's not saying that I'm a lawless man. We see that in verse 21. When he talks about going to those outside the law, he in there says not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ. So he says, listen, there are some boundaries. There are places I'm unwilling to go. There are things and activities that I'm unwilling to participate in as a follower of Christ. But that list is fairly short. Because Paul's saying, listen, I'm willing to go wherever, whenever, and meet with whoever for the sake of the gospel. And I'm willing to lay down anything that would cost me the opportunity to share Christ with them. He, he, he references this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We won't cover all these verses, but if you want to on your own to do some additional uh, homework here, read verses 23 through 33, but let me just read verse 33. He says this in verse 33 in chapter 10. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many that they may be saved. So this is the idea that he's building on, that missional living for him and for all of us requires this kind of self-sacrifice. It requires a daily dying to self and living for the sake of others. It also requires us to practice voluntary restraint. It means that we're willing to lay down our plans, our desires, our rights, our privileges, and including our preferences for those who don't yet know Christ. So what would our lives look like if we practiced this same type of radical service towards people in our lives? What would our homes and neighborhoods look like? What does this look like put into practice this, this idea of self-sacrifice, this idea of voluntary restraint? 
Well, let me challenge us with our homes and our neighborhoods to be the best neighbors that we can possibly be. That every single barbecue that you're invited to, that you, if you at all can, say yes to so that you might be able to have the opportunity to share Christ with somebody. We've spent so long and so much time kind of building high guards and high hedges around ourselves as believers towards those outside of the faith that we no longer have regular opportunity to even share Christ. I don't know if you experienced that, but that's kind of where I'm at right now in my walk. When I first gave my life to Jesus, man, I had regular opportunity to share my faith much more than I do now. And I realize, you know what the major contributing factor is? Is I have less lost people in my life now. And there's something wrong with that. Now, I'm not called to go and participate and do all the things, but I am called to share the gospel. And if I don't have anybody to share the gospel with, then I need to make some corrections and changes in my life. So a challenge in our homes and in our neighborhoods is to be mindful of others, to put them first, to be willing to die to self and live for them, to be the best neighbor I can possibly be, to be willing to go and do certain things so that I might have an audience to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Same thing in public, that I'd be willing to put away things that are all about myself, that I'd be willing to, again, die to self and live to others and always be mindful, mindful of the fact that a lost world is observing every single thing that I do. Remember, Paul's motivation in this is I don't want to cost myself the opportunity to be able to share Jesus Christ with somebody by the way that I live or something that I do. When I was a kid growing up, I, I went to a church in uh, Wichita, Kansas, and there was a man at that church that would frequent the grocery store that I worked at. So I'm a teenager. I'm, a, uh, I'm working there as a cashier. I recognize him, but he does not really know me from the church. And it always stuck out to me that this man's attitude was so terrible, so terrible all the time. The way that he treated those around him, the way that he would treat my coworkers, the way that he would treat cashiers, the way that he would throw fits if things didn't go exactly his way. And it always made me question and wonder, like, how in the world would you have any credibility if the opportunity arose for you to share Christ? Could you, with full confidence, open your mouth and say, this is what God has done? Would you have that kind of credibility and confidence in your neighborhood? Do you have that kind of credibility and confidence in your home because you are the real deal? You actually live it out. Do you have that kind of confidence in public? I know this is going to be a sensitive subject, but do we have that kind of confidence on social media? Boy, man, the number of Christians who I think have caused irreparable damage to their credibility because of things that they say and things that they do on social media is, is very high right now. And I think what Paul is challenging in this, in this text is that are we willing to forego being even right so that we could keep a level of credibility to be able to share the good news of the gospel with folks. And so it's a challenge to me, it's a challenge to you. In your workplace, are you living this out? Are you the type of person that dies to self and lives for others around you? And the same thing can be at church. Again, there's an individual component to this, but there's also a corporate component to this. 
My heart's prayer is that we would always, and we are, don't take this as a dive, we are a church that is so loving and so inviting, and I pray that we would stay that way. Because it can be so damaging for folks that they've been working on somebody, maybe a friend or a neighbor or a family member, and maybe for the very first time they get the opportunity to bring them to church, and then they're bombarded by a bunch of people who can't lay aside personal preference for their sake and that. And so thank you for doing that, but let's continue that here. But this is what it's going to require. Missional living is going to require you at some point to be willing to put some things down. It's going to require you at some point to hit delete on everything that you're about to send out to the World Wide Web. You understand what I'm saying? Like you've written that whole thing out and you go, you know what? Is it profitable? Paul goes on to say that in chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So let's run everything we do through these filters and be willing to die to self and self-sacrifice for the behalf, on behalf of others. All right, number two. We've got to move on quick. Number two here. Missional living requires intentionality. Missional living requires intentionality. As I explained earlier, uh, Paul, as he would proceed into a new town that we see in Acts chapter 17, he had a, a consistent way uh, about his life. He would go to the synagogue and plead with the Jews for three Sabbaths, and then he would move on to speak with the Gentiles. And what we see in Paul's life is we see a life that is oriented around making disciples, his entire life is, is all about the good news of the gospel of Christ. It is the center focus of his life. And everything around it, all of his priorities line up outside that. And for so many of us, I think the challenge is that this has become part of the margin, right? It's not the core of who we are. It's become the margin. And for Paul, it's the core of who he is. And everything else Everything else lines up around that, and he lives his life with such intentionality. Remember, he's going to go on four missionary journeys. All the work that he does with the churches, all of these things that he does, he does for the sake of the gospel. But he realizes that he's got to do some things like feed himself, right? And so that's what we find out here in 1 Corinthians is that he does everything for the sake of the gospel, but he understands that there are still some things that he's going to have to do out of necessity. So we know from Scripture that Paul would do things like be a tent builder so that he could have money to be able to, to eat and, and to be able to put himself up and all those things. But those things were part of the margin. They didn't define who he was. He was a Christian first. And so I think that's the same challenge for every single one of us in this room, that missional living is going to require intentionality. It's going to require us to orient our lives around this singular mission. It's to wake up every single day with the gospel in mind. It's to understand that if I'm an engineer, I'm not an engineer that happens to be a Christian. My Christianity isn't just another part of my life. Christianity is the core of my life. So it would be better to understand that I am first a Christian who happens to be an engineer. Same thing for those of you in the room. If you find yourself as a, a stay-at-home mom, your primary thing in your life is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Not even that you're a mom. Well, that's an incredible thing, and we are so grateful for all the moms in the room. Your number one mission in life is to be a follower of Christ who makes disciples. You just happen to have little ones in your home. 
who need to become disciples. So that's your primary mission field. That's your primary work. But it's this understanding that missional living is going to require intentionality. And that's what I love about this, that Paul orients everything in his life around this one thing. And we see that in verse 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That every single thing that I do at the core is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's on the forefront of his mind. It's what he thinks about when he first wakes up in the morning. It's what is on his mind right before he goes to bed. And that was a challenge to me this week. I'm telling you guys because that's not always the reality for me. And I'm a pastor. But the question I kept asking myself is, is this true of even me? Is the first thought that I have every single morning, what am I going to do today to share the gospel with somebody? Because that's intentionality. It's not going to accidentally happen. It requires intentionality, and therefore, it's going to require me to be intentional about it. So what am I going to do today? So every time I think about when I go to the grocery store, how am I going to look for opportunities to share the good news of the gospel? When I go get my hair cut, when I go to work, when I go to the gym, everything about my life, what am I doing to be intentional about sharing the gospel of Jesus? Because that's what it's going to require. And I know that it's not easy to do this. Trust me, I know firsthand that it's not easy to do this. And I think one of the reasons why it's not easy to do this is because we just get so locked into whatever it is that we're doing. At this time uh, last year, we were concluding uh, a kitchen renovation at our house. And we were pretty far along in the process. And what I told Aaron would take about two weeks was on about month two, okay? And if you've ever renovated anything in your house, you're like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was, I was uh, much more confident in my abilities and quickness uh, than was reality, right? And so I found myself at Home Depot quite a bit. And we were about two months into this deal, and I needed to get something done. And to be completely transparent with you, I was done, right? Like, I'm like, there's a chance that the kitchen just never functions again because I'm just going to wipe my hands of it, and, and I'm done. I'm done, done. I'm just going to go home, apologize to my wife, sell our house, and move into something with a finished kitchen, all right? That was kind of, that was kind of my plan. But I'm like, you know what? No, I've got to get this thing done. And so I go to Home Depot, and, like, I'm laser-focused, like I said. Like, I'm going in there. I'm trying to get what I need. I'm trying to load the car. I'm trying to get back home to work on this thing for the 5,000th hour of work. And so I'm just so done, so ready to be home. And what I realized was I had missed an opportunity that God had just laid right in my lap. You see, what had been going on in my personal life and my prayer life was I was asking God to help me be more intentional about sharing the gospel. God, Help me to have opportunities to be able to share Christ with somebody today. God, make it so clear that even somebody like me couldn't miss it. God, I'm going to need you to put the ball on the tee for me, right? Help set this conversation up. And if you would do that, God, then, then I will be obedient and I'll walk through that and I'll share. But what I realized is because my life lacked intentionality in that moment that I just missed it. I missed the chance that God dropped in my lap. I'm loading up the car with this stuff. 
And there's a guy that is parked, I mean, halfway across the parking lot. This guy's not parked next to me. I mean, halfway across the parking lot. And he's yelling, Boomer Sooner. And I realized that I'm wearing an Oklahoma Sooner shirt. I'm wearing my OU hat, which is now covered in paint and all ruined. And But he... He yells this out to me, and he's beelining it for me. Like, like I said, he doesn't just yell that out and go about his way. Like He walks halfway across the Home Depot parking lot to come face-to-face with me. Like I said, remember, God put, put one on the tee for me. And God has brought this guy to me from, from a half a mile away in the Home Depot parking lot. Come up. We've already established a rapport. We've got something in common. I mean, God has delivered this guy right in my lap. All I got to do now is be obedient and bold enough to to take the next step, to turn an an ordinary conversation into a, a gospel conversation. And I completely blew it. I missed it. I missed it because I wasn't intentional about that moment. I missed it because I was more focused on what I needed to do and what I had to get done at my house than I was in that very moment. I missed it. So this guy's telling me, I went, to, I went to Oklahoma. I graduated from the University of Oklahoma in 1989. I mean, he is striking up a full-on conversation. Like, clearly, he's more concerned about having a conversation with me than I am with him. And so he gets done telling me this whole elaborate story. The ball's on the tee. All I got to ask him is, is to take that next step and engage him in a gospel conversation. And, and, but what come out of my mouth next was, man, that's, that's awesome. You have a good day. And I got in my car, and I started it up, and I started driving home. And I was about 35 seconds down the road before I realized, God, I just missed an unbelievable opportunity that you'd given me. And I don't share that with you to to stir up guilt and shame, but I share that with you to, to have better understanding that if we're not intentional about these opportunities, then they're not going to happen. If I had gone to Home Depot that afternoon with the mindset of while I'm there picking some stuff up, I'm going to see if I could engage somebody in a gospel conversation, I think that day would have gone different. But I was so laser focused on what I had right there in front of me and what I needed to do and get done that day that I missed a perfectly good opportunity. So all of that to say a challenge for all of us is that when we think about intentionality, we need to enter into opportunities with intentionality, to be praying every, every time we walk into something, God, give me an opportunity in this store. God, give me an opportunity with this person who's cutting my hair. God, give me an opportunity wherever you might find yourself. Give me opportunities, right? And let me just say this too. This is not about not doing things. Not, I feel like for so long, pastors in the church, we've, we've, we've peppered everybody with, the, with this notion that you shouldn't be doing things, right? You're doing too much. You're out in the world too much. You need to be here more. No, it's not about not doing it. It's about being intentional about the things that you're already doing. So I think it's great that your kids play on baseball teams, and that they play soccer, and that they're involved in choirs and bands and all of these. Those are awesome things, but are you being intentional with those things? Again, it's not about not doing them. It's about being intentional with what you're already doing. So think about ways that you can offer your home. Think about ways that you could be the, be the team parent that, that hosts the team at your house. 
that, that goes above and beyond to do the things so that you might have opportunities to share Christ. But it is going to require intentionality. So what would my home and neighborhood look like with intentionality? How could I leverage those things for the goodness of the gospel? I think about Bless Every Home that Pastor uh, Steve Barnes has come up with. It's an app that you, can, that you can pinpoint your home and it'll give you the names of all your neighbors so that you can begin to prayer walk your own neighborhoods. Do you begin to ask people how you could pray for them? That, that when a new person moves in, that you'd be willing to reach out and have open conversation with them to make them feel welcome. Not too long ago, we just did a block party. Those are something that we're probably going to be looking at doing in the year to come. Maybe your neighborhood's one of those neighborhoods that, that we could use, but it's about being intentional wherever God has put you. The same thing with all those other neighborhoods, your, uh, those areas, your workplace, your home. God wants to use you, but it's going to require intentionality. Number three, last but certainly not least, number three, missional living requires motivation. Missional living requires motivation. If you see there in verse 23, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. He says that I may share with them in its blessings. See, the greatest motivation in Paul's life for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ was the gospel itself. And I say that because shame and guilt and all those things that we feel about this subject, those are horrible motivators. Shame and guilt will never motivate you to share the gospel with your neighbor. But an understanding of the power of the gospel will. And that's what Paul's saying. You don't want to, want to know why it's his greatest motivation? Because he's experienced its power firsthand. Think about who Paul is. And he was a guy who dedicated his life to tracking down Christians and killing them or throwing them into prison. And God showed up to him in a powerful way on the road to Damascus, and he changed Paul's life forever. So Paul has personal experience in this deal. Paul knows that the gospel is powerful. That's why it's his greatest motivation. Paul knows that, listen, if God can show up and he can change the life of a guy like me, then he could change the life of anyone. And I want other people to experience that. In fact, later in scripture, Paul even says, I wish that I could give up my own salvation for the sake of one of my brothers. What an unbelievable thought. But it was his core motivation for all that he did because he understood the gospel to be real. He understood the gospel to be powerful. I pray and I hope that we've not gotten to the place to where we don't trust in the gospel and its power. That we would remember back to what God did in our own lives. And, and let that be our motivation for sharing the good news of Christ with somebody else. Because we know it works. We know it's powerful. We know it really does change. Because we've all experienced it firsthand. But for Paul, he goes on there in the last part of that verse 23. And it's a part that I think is so critical and so crucial. He says that I might share with them in its blessings. So there's an individual component to this that Paul has experienced firsthand. But you know what else Paul's experienced firsthand? Paul's experienced getting to be a part of other people coming to saving faith in Christ. That's why evangelism and making disciples, you'll often hear said that it's caught, not taught. 
Because I can talk about it up here for four weeks, but that will never, ever carry as much weight as you having the opportunity to see God move powerfully in a person's life. I mean, think about that. If you've ever had the opportunity to go on a mission trip, to share the good news of the gospel and witness somebody right there on the spot come to saving faith in Christ, there is nothing like it in the world. And it fuels in us desire and motivation to keep on going. And so that's the challenge for us, that missional living is going to require motivation. But before I conclude this point, let me just point out that we shouldn't confuse desire with motivation. Don't confuse desire with motivation. Desires are things that you want to do. Motivations are the reason for why you do them. And the reason why this is important is because you're going to have days where you're lacking in desire. But the motivation still remains. So that's why missional living doesn't require desire. It requires motivation. Because there's going to be times when we don't desire. And like I said before, you want to know what fuels desire? Action. Action fuels desire. Think about it. It's like cleaning your house or spring cleaning your basement or cleaning out your garage. You never, ever, ever want to do that, right? But once you get to doing it, it fuels more action. And now that I got the garage done, I'm going to tackle the basement. We're going to clean this whole thing up because action fuels desire. It's no different than reading your Bible. Think about that. When I first come to Saving Faith in Christ, everybody kept telling me, you need to get in God's Word. You need to get in God's Word. And at first it was like, okay, this is weird, and I don't have the same desire as you to be in it, but we'll see how this goes. And you know what I learned? The more that I was in it, the more I wanted to be in it because action-fueled desire. So that's the same thing with sharing our faith, that action will fuel our desire, but not to confuse it with our motivation. Our motivation should be the gospel. Our motivation should be our desire to see dead people come back to life. Our motivation should be to see lost people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the challenge this morning that we're all called to participate in, that we're all called to be everyday missionaries. But if we're going to do this thing, if we're going to actually live this thing out, it's going to require these three things from us. It's going to require that we would die to self and that we would practice voluntary restraint so that we might not forfeit the opportunity to share Christ with those who don't know him. It's also going to require intentionality. And how fun can this be, though? Think about this as a family. How could you be intentional with the gospel as a family? To think about people that you could go after, to be people that you could be praying for together as a family unit, to pray or walk together, to, to think about how you could be so intentional with these things. It could be amazingly awesome. And again, last but not least, is to find your motivation in something that matters. Like I said, guilt and shame around this subject, they're horrible motivators. But the powerful, transformative gospel is an awesome motivator. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I pray that you would just continue to use it to challenge us. God, I thank you so much for faithful people in this room, God, who love you with all their hearts. God, I thank you for faithful people who just want to do what you've called us to do. And God, I pray that you just supply us with opportunity, God, for that you'd help us to be mindful of what we do and what we say. God, I pray that you would help us to not 
cost ourselves opportunities to share Christ, but that we would live our lives in a manner that are worthy of the gospel so that we can take advantage of every single opportunity that you lay before us. And God, I pray that our lives would be marked with intentionality. That everything we do would be oriented around this one sole mission that you've called us to. And God, I pray that we'd find our motivation not in guilt and not in shame of the ways we failed or the things that we messed up in the past on this particular subject, but God, that our motivation would be fueled by the gospel and that we'd be reminded every day of what you've done in us. And if you can save a wretched sinner like me, God, you can save anyone. And I want other people to experience the salvation that you graciously bestowed upon me. Father, we pray that you'd move and that you'd work this morning in very specific ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.